Good morning. Good to see you all this morning. You are nice and attentive. I like that. We'll see if we can keep it that way by the time I get done. I don't know. Uh, we'll be in John chapter 21 uh, this morning. Uh, we have come to the day that you may have thought would never come. We're finally finishing the gospel of John. Uh, next week we'll start uh, Acts. We're going to go through Acts in about 10 weeks. A little quicker than, than John's gospel, but uh, we have about 10 weeks in Acts as we, can, we begin to talk about uh, what, it, what after Jesus has risen from the dead. Jesus has risen from the dead. We are believers in Christ. What now? And so we're going to talk through some different questions and things about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to follow after Christ, what the church looks like. And so we're going to start that next week. This week we get to finish up John. If you'll remember, or you may not remember, uh, last week we, we looked at John chapter 20 And that verse we've been repeating over and over again uh, Since we've been studying through John's gospel John finally got to the point where we started Which is the reason he wrote uh, this gospel to us That we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God And that by believing we would have life in his name Remember Thomas's great confession My Lord and my God His, his gospel has come full circle in John chapter 20 And in some ways he kind of finishes up his material and then we have John chapter 21 as sort of an epilogue that, uh, of finishing up some different things, some loose ends. John wants us to know. God inspires John to write these things down for us so that we can see what happens to these men. What happens to these followers of Jesus who'd been following Jesus for three and a half years. Watch Jesus be crucified, buried, and rise again. What's next? What's now for them? Well, so we're going to pick up in John chapter 21, verse 1. Let's start with these first three verses here. Let's see what happens to these guys. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And so that's sort of a, a bummer, right? I mean, Jesus has risen from the dead. He's shown himself to his disciples a couple of times now. And what does his disciples do? Well, apparently they were hanging out. And after he had appeared to them, and Peter's like, well, it's been real, boys. I guess I'm going fishing. Like, he just goes fishing. Like, that's sort of anticlimactic, isn't it? Like, he's just going to go back to what he knows, to where he feels comfortable, to what he understands, how, where he understands how things work. If you'll remember, when Jesus found Peter, what was he doing? He was fishing. He was a fisherman. In fact, there was one night in Luke's gospel, or one day in Luke's gospel, where after a long night of fishing, him, Peter, and, and the other disciples, uh, soon-to-be disciples, had been fishing all night, and they'd caught nothing. And it's there from, from where Jesus tells Peter and these men to follow him. And so that's what they had done. They had followed Jesus. For over three years now, they had followed this man who called them away from fishing for fish to fish for men. But here they are, three years later, after following Jesus, fishing all night long and catching nothing. And that's sort of how it goes sometimes, isn't it? After we start following Jesus, things are going well for a while. It seems like we're learning some stuff. It seems like we're growing uh, in, in our understanding, in our faith. Then the wheels just sort of come off. 
and it feels, you know, two or three bad decisions, and we're right back where we started. Right back dealing with the same old doubts, the same old habits, the same old dumb stuff we used to do when Jesus first found us. Out fishing all night and catching nothing. That's where Jesus finds himself, or it's where Peter finds himself without Jesus. But we're going to see here in John's gospel that when we follow after Jesus, he's never done with us. He's never finished with us. Or as Paul puts it in Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. He's still working on these men. He's still working on us. He's always working in us and through the situations that we find ourselves in to deepen our faith and help us understand more of who he is and help us grow in grace. And that's what we're going to see this morning is that he's not done with them any more than he's done with us. They're about to learn what it really means to follow after Jesus, Peter in particular. Look at verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. So remember, they're out fishing, they've caught nothing. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. And so we have this picture here of them fishing all night long, not catching a thing. Daybreak comes, and there's this guy standing on the seashore on the beach, and he says, hey, guys, how many did you catch? And they're like, not one fish. We've caught nothing. And so he says, hey, why don't, why don't you throw your net on the other side, and you'll find some fish? And so they listen to him. They throw their net on the other side, and guess what? They catch so many fish with this net that they can't even pull it back in the boat. And so John looks over at Peter, his buddy, and he's like, hey, Peter, that's Jesus. It's the Lord. And can you imagine this sight, guys? Like, like, have you ever been fishing with somebody, or maybe you've been the guy where you've been fishing all day and you haven't caught anything? Remember that look that you get on your face? Like, oh, so sick of being here. I just want to catch a fish. And then you finally get a bite. You know, a, a fish hit, hits your bait, and you, you jerk it, and you begin to reel it in. The, the change, the, the excitement. I, I know those of you who don't fish, you, you don't know what I'm talking about. It's been a while since I felt that excitement. But you know what, I'm, what I mean, where all of a sudden it's like, man, I've been out here wasting my time all day. And then you finally get a bite. You finally catch something, and you begin to reel it in. Imagine that excitement times like a, a, a million. Peter's been out there. He's been fishing all night. It's a complete waste of time. And John says, hey, Peter. Jesus is over there on the beach. And so, it's, and so he tells us that Peter jumps up and puts on his outer garment. Now, there's a lot of different discussion about exactly what Peter's doing here. It says that he had stripped for his work um, naked, so hopefully he has underwear on. We're not sure. Like, he puts his robe on, and that bails off the side of the boat into the sea to go after Jesus. 
leaving everybody else to deal with the fish they just caught. He don't care about the fish anymore. All he cares about is going to see Jesus. And he'll, he, he says, you guys can handle this. I got to go see Jesus. He can't even wait for the boat to get in. He, he, he books it to the shore. And so when everybody gets up closer and gets on the beach with Jesus, they see that he's already got a fire going. And he actually has already got fish cooking. He's got breakfast waiting on them. Let, look at verse 11. So Simon Peter, at least the first half of verse 11, so Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore. I, when, I, when I was looking at that this week, I couldn't help but think, man, Peter has to be a stout dude, right? I mean, so the other six guys in the boat with him are trying to drag the, the fish in the net uh, to the shore with, along with the boat, and they, they get up close, and Jesus is like, hey, I want you to go get some of those fish you just caught. And Peter's like, get out of the way, boys. I got this. And he goes, and he hauls the net up himself. I mean, this guy's unreal. He's just so excited to see Jesus. And so we continue on here in verse 11. Full of large fish. This net's full of large fish. 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. This is the second time this has happened with Jesus. Second time they went all night without catching any fish. And the second time he'd say, throw your net on the other side. And when they threw their net on the other side, the fish were more than they could handle. The only difference being... The first time that when that's happened, the nets actually broke. This time the net doesn't break. I don't think it's an accident that God put that in there for us. It's to remind us that after the resurrection of Jesus, things are going to be different for those who follow him. I, I think it's also important to point out, there's, there's more here than, than we really have time to get into this morning, but I think it's important to point out that they fished all night with nothing. And as soon as Jesus showed up, they caught more than they could handle. Guys, apart from him, we can do nothing. He's gotten through saying this not very long before this incident. He, when he told his disciples, apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in me. It's this reminder that apart from him, guys, we have no hope. This is the picture we have of these disciples. They have no hope, but when Jesus shows up, they have all that they need and more. Look at verse 12. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Like, there's no question in their mind who this is. They know for a fact that this is Jesus. They don't even question him. They don't even say, well, who are you? Because they know who it is. Verse 13 says, Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. Then we read in verse 14, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to disciples after he was raised from the dead. And, that, and that's important. We're, we're going to see that's important, and that's a big deal here in a minute when we read the next verses. But before we get there, I want you to be reminded of what's gone on with these disciples, what's happened with them. One of them's messed up pretty big. And I don't mean Judas, like he's in a whole category by himself. I'm talking about Peter. Peter had messed up pretty big. You'll remember Jesus had told his disciples, he'd said, guys, I'm going to be arrested and I'm going to be killed. And when I'm arrested, all of you are going to run away. You're all going to desert me. That's what he had told his disciples. And Peter's response was, not me. Peter had said, well, well that may be true of James and John and Matthew and these other guys, that they are sort of weak. But Lord, don't forget, I'm Peter. I'm your rock. I've got your back even if I have to die with you. I'll be with you to the very end. He was so sure, Peter was so sure that his love for Jesus 
was bigger and stronger than any of the other disciples. That he says, hey, they, they, you're right, they probably will all run away, but I'll still be standing tall. I'll still be standing right by your side. And of course, you know the rest of the story. Jesus tells Peter, well, you're, you're wrong, man. In fact, this very night, you're going to deny Jesus three times. He says that before the rooster crows tomorrow, you'll have denied me three times. And guess what happens? Exactly that. As Jesus is on trial and he's being beaten and spit on and made fun of, Peter's across the yard denying Jesus. One time he denies Jesus. Servant girl says, hey, aren't you one of them? You talk like they do. And he says, no, that's not me. Two times he denies Jesus. A, 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 a relative of the guy whose ear he cut off says, hey, aren't you one of them? Didn't I see you in the garden? No, that wasn't me. Then the third time, someone comes and says, hey, I know you're one of those guys. Quit pretending. Quit pretending that you're not someone who followed him. And, and it says that Peter called down curses upon him, basically saying, God, kill me if I even know who you're talking about. And right then, Jesus looks across the yard at Peter, and their eyes lock, and a rooster crows. And he realizes, I've failed beyond belief. And he runs out crying. How do you come back from that, guys? How do you come back from that failure? A failure so terrible. The truth is, is you don't. At least not if it's up to you. That's why, it's, why we're so thankful that when we follow Jesus, he is never done with us. doesn't matter how badly we mess up, his grace is always greater than our sin, greater than anything we could do. Now, John says this is the third time that he has met with the disciples, appeared to the disciples after he rose again. It doesn't appear that he, Jesus has addressed with Peter his failure. It appears that they don't really have a whole lot of one-on-one -on -one contact. They may have, but it doesn't appear so. So he appears the third time. And so look at verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you hear the question Jesus is asking? Peter, are you still so sure that you love me more than these guys do? Are you still so sure of your love for me? Are you still so sure of your, of your amazing strength and your confidence, Peter? Are, are you still sure you can handle it? Are you sure that your love is greater than their love? I, I'm sure this, this had to get his attention. So Peter responds here in verse 15. He says, he, he said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And so Jesus said to him, he said to him, feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. And then verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And here you see the point of Jesus' question. Jesus asks him if he loves him the same number of times Peter had betrayed and denied him. And Peter gets the point. He's cut through the heart. He understands the point that Jesus is making. And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. 
you know that I love you? Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You see, Peter is learning something here. He's being released from proving that he loves Jesus. He is learning a lesson that we need to learn, guys. Following Jesus is not about proving ourselves to him, but trusting in the love he has proven that he has for us. You see, we're not saved by how much we love Jesus. We're saved by how much he has loved us. What matters more than anything is how much he loves us. And he has proven that he loves us more than anything. Or more than his own life. He has given his own life for us. Peter was always trying to prove his love for Jesus. You think about it. In the boat, when Jesus is walking on the water, who wants to get out of the boat? When Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to deny, I'm going to die. Peter's response is, no, you aren't, Lord. When Jesus says, you're all going to run and hide and, and, and be afraid, Peter says, not me. When they come to arrest Jesus, Peter's like, you ain't taking him without a fight. And he pulls out his sword. Even now on the beach, when Jesus says, go bring me those fish, Peter says, I'll go get them. Y'all get out of my way. Here's Jesus saying, no, Peter, you have it all backwards. Guys, Jesus never asked him to prove his love for him. Jesus was all along telling him he was going to prove his love for him and for us. Guys, our relationship with Christ is not based on the strength of our love for him. It's based on the strength of his love for us. That's what John means when he says in 1 John that even when our hearts condemn us, he is greater than our hearts. Even when our hearts reveal that we still have sin in them, he is greater than our hearts. That's what Paul means when he says nothing in this world can separate us from the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus. This is what Jesus meant when he said that he's going to wrap his hands around us and that the Father will wrap his hands around his hands and nothing will ever take us out of their hands. He is saying we are his for all eternity because he loves us. And because he loves us, we love him. Can you imagine the weight being lifted off of Peter at this moment? All that pressure to perform, all that pressure to earn the Lord's favor. And here he is saying, Peter, it's over. Quit trying. He is, he is making Peter confess what he knows to be true. Jesus doesn't say, well, if you love me so much, why did you deny me? If you love me so much, why did you run? Why did you return fishing? No, he makes Peter tell him three times that he loves him. As many times as he denied him. Jesus makes Peter confess that yes, despite his sin, in spite of his denial, in spite of his running away and losing hope, yes, Peter loves Jesus. Because Jesus first loved Jesus' love for us is greater than our doubts, greater than our sins, our denials, our betrayals. You guys, you see the great thing about following Jesus is that even when we fall behind, he always comes back to get us. Here he is, he's coming back to get Peter. He knows Peter's got to be hurting. He's saying, Peter, do you really love me? Do you really love me? And every time that Peter says yes, he's reminded, oh, I do love you. I do love you. The, the worst thing about following someone who drives too fast, I don't know if you've ever tried following someone who drives too fast and takes a lot of turns without their blinker, is sometimes you lose them along the way. And if, you're not, if you don't know where you're going, you can get lost, right? You're like, well, what do I do now? You miss a couple of turns, and all of a sudden, you're, you're stuck. I think that's what had happened to Peter. He had fallen behind. And now Jesus has come back and said, Peter, come on. I got a job for you to do. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, serve uh, my people. He isn't asking for Peter to prove that he is worthy. He isn't asking for Peter to prove that he loves him. He already knows. When we follow Jesus, he is never done with us. 
Let, let me finish up the, these passage, this passage, and we're going to come back to this idea. Because on the one hand, you may be saying, well, then, then does that mean I can just do whatever I want whenever I feel like it? Well, notice as he says, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I, I love you. Jesus says, well, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. What's he doing? He's saying, Peter, I'm changing your purpose. You see, when we follow Jesus, he changes our purpose. When we follow Jesus and we love Jesus, that changes our reason for being. When we love him, it means that we give up our right to decide where we go and what we want to do. It means that we submit our lives to his will. He changes our purpose when we follow him. It, it, with him, with Jesus, it's all or nothing. There's no halfway in this walk. The gate is narrow, guys. Listen to verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. Hear what he's saying. Peter, you used to do whatever you wanted to do. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after that, saying this to him, he said to him, follow me. Jesus gives Peter a picture of what his life is to bring him. Peter, remember that cross that they hung Jesus on? Yeah, that's going to be you one day. I know you used to go wherever you wanted to go, but not anymore. You follow Jesus. Jesus is commanding Peter to follow him. How, how does he restore a guy like Peter? How does he restore a guy who had failed so miserably? Does he give him a special class, a special seminar? No. He just says, follow me. You may ask, well, well where, Jesus? Where, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? If you're giving me a new purpose, you've got to tell me how it's all going to work out. Well, you see, the great thing about following is you really don't actually have to know where you're going. You just focus on the person in front of you. You go where they go. Jesus doesn't say, Peter, go here, here, and here. He just tells him how it's all going to end, which is more than most of us get, right? When we follow Jesus, we, it's not because we know that all the things that are going to happen in our life. We just know the end. We know that we will spend eternity with him. Guys, we, sometimes we make following Jesus way more complicated than it has to be. We don't have to know everything about everything. We make it about this technique or this class or this teaching or this truth or that truth. But Jesus says to Peter, after he had failed miserably, after he'd followed him for three years, the same thing he said to him when he first called him. Follow me. Put one foot in front of the other and follow Jesus. You see, what he's doing is he's changing Peter's purpose. Peter's life would no longer be about what Peter wants. It's about giving glory to God and doing what God wants so much so that even his death is about God's glory. And guys, he wants to change your purpose this morning too. You see, to follow Jesus, and I know this is going to be earth-shattering, and so I wanted to prepare you. In order to follow Jesus, you have to follow Jesus. You have to go where he asks you to go. You listen to him. You do what he wants you to do instead of what you want to do. See, Peter was always telling Jesus where he wanted to go and what Jesus was going to do and what Peter was going to do. This all stops. From here on, he's, his mission is not his own anymore. It's the Lord's mission. See, here's the deal. You can't tell Jesus what to do and still follow him. It doesn't work that way. You know what, what it's called when you're telling someone else what to do and where to go? Leading. You can't lead and follow at the same time when it comes to your relationship with Christ. 
in order to follow him, you have to give up who you are in order to see what he wants you to do. Instead of trying to figure it out all out on your own, no, stop telling him what to do and start listening. And allow him to become your singular focus. When we follow Jesus, he is our singular focus. Guys, it doesn't matter if someone has it easier than we do. It doesn't matter if someone has it worse than we do. Our job is to keep our eyes on him. Look, look at verse 20. Because you see, when we take our eyes off of him, that's when we get in trouble. Verse 20 says this. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The, the one who had leaned back during, uh, against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it? That is going to betray you. And so you get this picture here of Jesus and Peter walking down the beach and they're having this conversation. Peter, you're going to be crucified one day. And Peter looks over his shoulder and apparently John's following behind. And as he's following behind, Peter says this in verse 21. When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? <laughs> Peter, you're going to be crucified. Peter looks over his shoulder and he's like, what about him? What about old pretty boy back there? How come I got to suffer? It's not fair. Why do, does he get all the breaks and I don't? Why, why does he get all the, you know, the special attention? Some of the things that may go through our heads sometimes. Why do they all have it so much easier than I do? It's not fair. Look at what Jesus says in verse 22. Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. See, the great thing about following Jesus is we really don't have to worry about what everybody else is doing. We just keep our eyes on him. Keep our eyes focused on him. He says, you follow me. Stop worrying so much about what everybody else has going on and you follow him. You obey him. You put your eyes on the road in front of you instead of always looking over your shoulder at everybody else saying, man, what are they doing? Why do they get to do that? Why are they that? Stop worrying about what everybody else is doing and focus on him. You'll be amazed at how much what other people have or what other people do doesn't bother you anymore when you keep your eyes on him. I mean, how much time could you free up in your life from envy and from uh, anxiety and all those different things if you just quit looking at Facebook and Instagram and all those different things and, and stop wondering, well, how in the world can they look like that? How in the world can they afford that? How in the world can they drive that? How in the world can they get that girl or that guy? How come they got so many more locks than I do? Who cares? Who cares how much money that person over there has? Who cares what job they have? Good for them. If the Lord wills for them to live forever and have everything, what is that to you? You follow Jesus. Quit looking over your shoulder what God is doing for everybody else and put your eyes on him. You follow him. Let him be your singular focus. Let him be the purpose for your life. This morning, as we look at the life of Peter and we see how Jesus restores this man, we're reminded that following Jesus is about three things. It's about the fact that when we follow him, he's never done with us. It's about the fact that he gives us a new purpose. He gives us a new reason for being. And it's about keeping our focus on him. When we began this morning, we saw a guy back at square one. We saw a guy that's all the way back where he began. And as I, as I thought about that, I thought about how often we feel that way. And if you're there this morning, you feel like you're just starting over. You feel like, man, I don't even know where to begin. I get it. I know, <laughs> I was thinking about this this morning. It's really embarrassing. I don't know how many times I've brought up the fact that I want to start working out again. <laughs> and every time I start working out, I get frustrated and quit because I can't do what I used to do. 
A friend of mine was making fun of me this past week. He's like, haven't you been trying to do that since like 2015 or something? I was like, yeah, I know. It's terrible, right? Here's the deal. Until I accept the fact that I'm not where I used to be, I'll never move past it. Until I get to the place I'm willing to say, I'm not over there, I'm right here. I'm going to start right here with the weight I can do right now. I'm never going to start. I won't ever get moving again. And if I, if I go and I start looking around and seeing all the people that are so far ahead of me and I start comparing myself to all of them, guess what's going to happen? It's going to be even worse. I'm going to be so embarrassed to never go back. The same is true for us. You, you can't gauge your relationship with Christ on what you used to do. You can't gauge your relationship with Christ on what other people do. You can only be where you are. I know I'm full of profound statements, right? You can only be where you are. Don't, don't worry about where you were or where everyone else is. You look at Jesus and you put one front in front of the other and you follow him. Otherwise, you're not going anywhere. Or if you try, you're going to end up wiping out. So he, he, says, he says, Peter, your job is to follow me. He doesn't say drop and give me 50. He doesn't say start a new Bible study. He doesn't say go do 50 deeds in 50 days. No, he says that every, the, the whole summation of all of this reconciliation between Peter and Jesus is simply follow me. The same thing that Jesus said to Peter when he began. Peter all the time up until here was trying to bring Jesus flowers to make up for his mistake. Here's what I mean. I, I think if you're a guy in here, you know what I mean. You know, when you go to a store and you buy a bouquet of flowers for whatever reason, what do you hear when you get to the checkout? What'd you do? Come on, spill the beans. Why do they say that? Because they know that you buy flowers to prove that you love your wife because your actions said otherwise or your mouth said otherwise, whatever. You're making up for something you didn't do or something you did do. Either way, the flowers are proof that you love her. Guess what? The awesome thing about Jesus is he doesn't need flowers. Your wife does. Jesus doesn't because Jesus knows everything. Peter said, you know I love you because you know everything. Your wife doesn't know that, so still get her flowers. But Jesus doesn't accept flowers in order to make up. He doesn't have to. He's proven his love for us. He doesn't accept extra credit either. Like if you forget a paper, you do bad on a test, he, you know, sometimes you'll do extra credit to make up for it, to get a better grade. That doesn't fly with Jesus. You don't get extra credit. Peter's always trying to get extra credit with Jesus. And, and Jesus says, no, you, you don't understand. There is no extra credit. I love you more than the sin uh, that, and the apathy that you have. All he asks us to do is follow him. Here's the deal. And maybe if we don't hear anything else, we don't learn anything else from John's gospel, as I, I was just thinking through what I hope people can understand is this. Jesus did not go to the cross because we loved him so much. He went to the cross because we did not love him. But he loved us so much that he gave his life for us. So that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have life with him forever. He didn't go to the cross because you loved him. He went to the cross because he loves you. And he wants you to have eternal life with him. That doesn't change after you believe. That doesn't change after you start following. It doesn't matter what situation you're in. Jesus says to you, I love you so much, I gave my life for you so that you can be with him forever. 
He says if you will just simply take his hand and follow him, you can walk with him all the way to eternity. My question for you this morning is, are you willing to walk with him? Let let me get you to bow your heads. Close your eyes. I I just want to take a few moments before we enter into our our time of invitation and ask you a a couple of questions. Are Are you really trying to prove to the Lord that you love him? Are you simply trusting in the fact that he has loved you? Where are you struggling? You right back where you started? Like, Lord, I don't even know where to go from here. I thought I'd be further along than I am right now. Jesus wants you to know. If you ask his forgiveness, he won't say, drop and give me 50. He won't say, do this, do that. He'll simply say, do you love me? You know the answer to that. You know the answer to that this morning. Do you love him? Have you followed him? Well, if you have, quit trying to prove your love and simply accept his love and follow after him. Do what he's called you to do. Maybe this morning, that's, maybe that's your struggle. He's called you into a, a greater ministry. Maybe he's called you to do something you're not willing to do. He's, he's given you purpose and meaning this morning, but, but you're saying, Lord, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm able. Maybe this, this morning is the time for you to repent and say, no, I actually am able because of the strength he's given me. Or maybe this morning you've never followed him. Maybe this morning you've never started your journey with him. Would you start this morning? Would you ask him to save you? Would you ask him to forgive you and be your Lord? Let's pray. Father, I thank you. 